Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. This is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is all about dynamic family leadership and leaving a profound legacy for our children. And this year, we've added family financial freedom as a major topic. And one of the ways you can learn how to get financially free is to purchase my new book on Amazon called True Legacy Wealth, Creating Generational Wealth Through Real Estate Investing. Then join our True Legacy Wealth Turnkey Real Estate Investing Program. Turnkey means we do it all. We acquire, renovate, and manage for you. You purchase and prosper. We're your team in a package. All the properties are between $50,000 and $150,000 and will cash flow right now. So sign up for a free membership and you'll get a 45-minute complimentary consultation. Go to truelegacywealth.com or email me at info at integrativeminds with an S.com or you can call me at 424-262-4433. The links are in the show notes. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and syndicated on RethinkRadio.org, OneIdeaAway.com, and Armed Radio. So on to our show today. I think that the web and everything that has to do with it is pretty scary as parents. We don't know how to protect ourselves, let alone our children. I think our children probably know more about the World Wide Web than we do. And so I brought on our guest. He is a digital forensic investigator at Edelson PC, where his practice focuses on a variety of tech-related cases related to privacy and information security. Now, in addition to working for Edelson PC, he also owns and operates an information security consulting firm, which specializes in providing information security and digital forensic services to small and medium-sized businesses. He graduated cum laude with a degree in information technology management from Illinois Institute of Technology and holds a board certification as an expert in cyber investigation and a forensic high-tech investigator. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Brian Samro. Hi, Brian. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm awesome. This is part one of our talk about cybersecurity. So be t- sure to tune back in next week where we're going to have part two. A few things that we're going to talk about with, for next week is some of the best way for keeping an eye on what our kids are doing online. How do we know what information that the apps, websites are collecting from our children? What are some simple steps that we can do to help automatically protect the privacy of our kids and ourselves when browsing the web? So that's next week's talk. So make sure you tune back in. Today, we're going to talk about some major topic also. So Brian, before we get into today's topic, tell us how you got started in this field. Well, it, it's interesting. When I was in high school, uh, actually middle school, come to think about it, I saw a presentation by a guy who at the time was a uh, forensic investigator for the FBI. And he brought in a lot of the tools that they use. And I was just like, oh, those tools are so cool. I want to learn how to use them. Uh, and from that point forward, I was basically going towards a career in cyber forensics. Okay. So you geeked out on this in high school. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
the field itself is so broad. So what made you decide to go into forensic itself? I really like helping people. So um, I knew I wanted to either do something like uh, security or forensics where I could actually be making an impact. And I, I really like mysteries. So being able to go in and say, um, oh, this is what happened and be able to solve, you know, what something that's already happened. Uh, that, that was a huge bonus for me. So it's so like a little detective. Yep. Most of the time, our children, I think for most people, our children know more about technology and cyber space than we do. So is there even a point to trying to teach them about information security? Well, absolutely. One of the things that I've seen uh, working in security is that a lot of times the people who are the most tech savvy are also the ones who you have to worry about the most. Um, they, they're more likely to take shortcuts and be less careful about what they're clicking on than somebody who is not quite as familiar with it and, and is being more careful about what they're doing. Uh, so one of the things that I try to encourage people to do is to get started very early on, especially since your kids are going to be going and growing up in this world where we have to worry about this type of thing, getting them started from the beginning of thinking about this as they're using their online accounts and, and stuff like that. That's, that's incredibly important in my mind. When you say online account, is that like email, uh, video games? Yep. Email, video games, uh, when, when they're old enough, social media, even applying for jobs, you have to be careful about what you're posting. <laughs> really? Applications, yeah. Wow. What should I be worried about when, you know, or at least my children? I mean, obviously the base thing, they shouldn't be posting their phone number and things like that. But what yeah. information specifically are you talking about that we may not be aware of? It, it depends on, on what exactly we're talking about. Let's say we're talking about a mobile app, for instance. Okay. You know, when you read the privacy policy, there's things that you're that you voluntarily submit to the website or app, but then there's also things that it collects automatically about you. So, for instance, um, persistent unique identifiers are basically just this long numeric string that identifies a device or person. Think back, you know, five, ten years ago, there was a big complaint that people always had when dealing with customer service. Oh, I'm just a number to them. And that's because it's easier for a computer to identify you by that identifier than it is by your name. So even though it doesn't seem to us like it's all that important to worry about these unique identifiers, it, it really is something that we have to keep in mind because they're aggregating all this information about. Is that the whole thing about the Facebook? Like they were collecting all of this information and we had agreed to it in the terms and condition. Yeah. Well, it depends on which Facebook breach we're talking about. Uh, one of the more recent ones that was in the news, um, it had to do with how they were handling passwords when you submit a password to the site, they should never actually be storing your password in a readable format. Um, it goes through a process called hashing, which basically means that it stores a, a mathematical function um, that can never be reversed back to your password. But every time you submit your password, it can go through that and match that match mathematical function. So basically it stops. So even if I was able to get into a website's database or something like that, I shouldn't be able to read somebody's password. Unfortunately, um, the way Facebook was storing some things recently, um, it was in their logs. It was storing it as a plain text password, which was the big news item. <laughs> but the problem is almost every app that you sign up for, at least the big ones, like LinkedIn, Facebook, all of that, the terms and conditions are so long, you just hit accept automatically. You don't even know what you're accepting. And they're, I'm assuming that's what they're hoping that you would do. And that's one of the things um, where I would really recommend that you, you actually get in the habit of trying to at least glance through the terms of service and privacy policy. 
Um, because in reality, once you've read two or three of them, they all start to look the same. Um, and you can kind of go through and see what's changed. Uh, one of the big things that I look for is what information is being collected. Um, now, especially with GDPR and uh, in the EU, a lot of websites will have that very well highlighted. Here's what we collect. Here's who we send it to. Um, so if you look for those two things, it'll tell you a lot about what you're dealing with. But you have to accept the terms if you want to use the app, though. Yep, but you have to make the decision, is is it worth me being able to give this information away to whether I really want to use this or not? We talked about all these breaches in Facebook, right? With all, and Facebook is not the only one. Then is there even a point to worrying about security of our account information? I mean, there is a lot of uh, breaches out there. Um, you kind of do have to assume that some of your information is already out there. Um, but there's a lot that you can do to reduce the risk and reduce your exposure to um, the issues that are caused by your information being out there. Uh, one of the things to remember is that information security isn't about removing risk entirely. I mean, that's just not possible, but it's being able to reduce the exposure to an acceptable level. Um, so when we're talking about risk, we can accept risk, we can transfer risk, or we can reduce or mitigate it. And unfortunately, a lot of people just default to accepting it because they don't even know about it. Don't some people like will not give all the information out? Like, if it doesn't have an asterisk, I won't put information on there. Yep. Yeah, that's one of the most important things is just being aware of what information you're putting out there. The other thing I would suggest too, you know, when we're talking about breaches, a lot of times the thing that's sought after in breaches is passwords. You know, everyone says, oh, I can't use a different password on every site because I can't remember it. And that's true. You shouldn't be able to remember it. The, um, there's a gentleman called Troy Hunt who said it, the only secure password is the password that you can't remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, that's, that's, it's amazing quote. Um, so what the ways you want to go about that is you want to use a password manager. Um, and so that's something where it's storing your passwords in an encrypted format. Um, you only have to remember one password. Um, and then ideally you're going to use two factor authentication with that as well. So in addition to having to know your password, you have to prove that you have your phone with you by giving it a code that changes every 30 seconds from your phone or, oh, good a, God. or something like that. <laughs> but once you're signed in, you're signed in and you can use whatever passwords you have signed. Yeah, but will it go across all devices? For a password manager, yeah. Um, the, the decent ones out there, with, you know, let's talk about LastPass, 1Password, Dashlane, something like that. Um, they're all going to have mobile apps. They're going to have um, a website that you can log into. So even if you're not on your own computer, um, you know, you can go to, log into the website and then when you're done, log out of it. But, you know, you can basically get to it from wherever you are. I, I use totally randomized passwords. So except for my master password and two other passwords that are out there, they're long 64 character passwords that are generated by the password manager. So I have no way of getting into my accounts if I don't have access to my password manager. So you would log into the the website and then go to those accounts from the website. Um, yeah. And especially if it's, if you're on your own computer, you can install an extension on your browser. So it'll automatically fill it into the website. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you're used to it, it's actually much easier than trying to remember, oh, wait, what password did I use for this website? You know, cause they all have different requirements. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'm going to use the same password for every website. Give it a year and you're not going to be, you're going to have some variation of it out there. What's a web, a password website that you would recommend? LastPass is the one that I use, um, but there's also 1Password, there's uh, Dashlane, uh, if, you, if you're not comfortable with it being on something that's synced through the cloud, like LastPass or 1Password, something like that, um, KeePass, which is spelled K-E-E, -E, 
P-A-S-S. Um, that is a open source, so it's totally free. Um, you can download it, and it only stores it on your computer. The flip side to that is then it's harder to get on your mobile device or something like that. Um, you have to have a way of syncing that database, which gets interesting. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, we heard of the regular web, and then I hear of the dark web. What is that, and how should I be concerned about it? So I think to some extent, the dark web tends to be a little bit overhyped. Uh, when we're talking about uh, the web, we have three webs that we consider. We have the surface web, which is what we view every day. You know, if you Google a website, it's going to come up in Google. You have what's called the deep web, which is basically just something that you can access through a web browser, but it's not going to come up if you Google it. It's, it's unindexed. Um, and then you have the dark web, which requires special software. Um, for instance, Tor is pretty much the standard for being able to get on the dark web. You kind of have to know a little bit about it before you can get into it because you have to know the links. So you can't Google it. Um, you've got to use special software. The flip side to that is it's very private. So it's very hard to track somebody back through the dark web. It is possible. Um, you know, the, the FBI has on occasion been able to do that, uh, but it takes a lot of work and they have to be very motivated to be able to do that. And you have to have a lot of resources. Um, so because it's very private, it also tends to be resource for criminals and anybody who wants to sell anything illegal online. And it's not just used for criminals. I mean, there are legitimate reasons for it too. Like I said, it's very private. Um, actually, believe it or not, Facebook even has a dark web address. <laughs> so what's the purpose of it if most people can't find it? There are um, listings, so to speak, of addresses that you can go to. So if you really want to know how to do it, it's pretty easy to figure out how to get on there um, if you're motivated enough to do it. It, it is something where on occasion, I will go on the dark web for th certain things, um, not that I'm doing anything illegal, uh, but I do go on there to see um, if something's been exposed. You know, I'll be looking for new breaches, stuff like that, um, just to have an idea of what's out there. So is something that kids can get onto then? Yeah, more than likely they could figure out if they really wanted to. Um, I mean, if you Google how to get on the dark web, you're going to find some instructions on how to do it. So, you know, it, it's something where if you see your kids using Tor, it could be legitimate, but you probably want to ask them, you know, why are you using this? Because what there is are, it, Tor? Um, Tor, T-O-R. T -O -R. Um, believe it or not, it was actually a program designed by the Navy. Um, but it, it's been, just the privacy aspect of it has been um, used for good things and bad. So is that like a Google.com or something? where you? Can um, no, it's actually a program called Tor. Um, so it would be installed on your computer. Um, basically, it, it jumps through a bunch of other computers before it actually gets to the destination. But it's, yeah, if you see something on your computer called Tor, it's like a little green globe um, is the icon for it. And that's a way to get into the dark web. Yep. Yep. And most of it, what you're saying is a, it's like we're illegal. Well, I only know like pedophiles and criminals like go on there. Yep. You know, there, there's a lot of companies out there that say they do dark web scanning and they say, oh, you know, pay us and we'll let you know if your information's out on the dark web. A lot of those in my mind tend to be a little bit fear mongering. Um, and, and there's certainly legitimate reasons for them to be out there. But for instance, there's a free one out there that, um, Troy Hunt, the guy who I quoted before, um, who said the only secure password is a password you can't remember, he runs a service called Have I Been Pwned. Um, that's Have I Been P-W-N-E-D.com. And that allows you to basically check and see if any of your passwords have been used um, or found on dark web breaches, um, deep web breaches, stuff like that. It also allows you to 
receive alerts via your email um, if your email address is ever found in a breach. Really? Um, and that, yep. And that's actually something very useful. I sign up pretty much all of my clients for it because um, I can sign it up by domain. So I can say, you know, if uh, briansimrow.com is, you know, seen anywhere, email me. Um, or you can do it for a personal email. So I have, you know, the geek kid at gmail.com yeah, yeah. or whatever I'm using. You know, I can submit requests for that as well and, and receive a notification. So it's a, it's free. Um, you know, there's it's not like a free trial or anything like that. It's completely free. Um, Troy Hunt is very respected in the information security community, so it's safe and it's been independently verified too. So, so what's the website again? Have I been pwned? pwned.com. And I can I can send you an email. I should have sent that before. Okay. I'll, gonna, I'll send you an email with that. I'm going to put that in the show notes because I think that's important. What I worry about is my email account being hacked yeah. and my credit card account. Those yep. are things. So talking about security, I noticed that some of the browsers I'm using, especially Chrome, I'll go to a site and even if it's on my phone, it'll say the site's not secure anymore. What happened and then are we not supposed to use it? In the past, you would all a lot of times go to a site and it would say secure at the top, right? And we're and I think a lot of browsers are trying to get away from that because um, it's secure from a technical standpoint, meaning your connection to the website is secure if it's using a certain technology called SSL or TLS. But that's what that S at the end of HTTPS means. That's what the green secure bar meant whenever you visited a website. The problem is a lot of people didn't really understand that this just means that my connection to the website is secure. They thought, oh, it means the website is safe. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Anybody can use um, SSL, TLS, anything like that. So I can build a phishing site that looks legitimate and it says secure at the top, you know, on the older versions of the browsers. So they're trying to get away from saying that something is secure. Now they're trying to point out specifically when the connection is not secure. So the idea is um, when you're using SSL or TLS, it encrypts your traffic between your computer and the server. So it stops uh, somebody from being able to see any information that you're submitting to the server. So let's say I'm at a coffee shop. I can be listening to web traffic that's flying across that network, but it doesn't do me any good if it's encrypted because it really doesn't make any sense to me. If they're not using SSL or TLS, I can see whatever that information is. Now, a lot of people think, oh, well, what if I'm just visiting a website that doesn't have any information that I'm submitting to it, right? I don't really have to worry about that. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of people in technology who've been making that argument too, and they're making the argument against that not secure notification because it depends on the content being submitted. But security is is kind of summarized in what they call the CIA triad, which sounds like a big, scary government agency. <laughs> it's not. It, it means uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So those are basically the three pillars, so to speak, that um, when you're working in security, you're trying to uphold. So confidentiality, making sure that nobody is getting information they shouldn't. So that's the information I'm submitting to a website, making sure that nobody else can read it. Integrity is making sure that something isn't changed from what you would expect it to be. So that's the other part of it. So even if it's a static web page and there's nothing on there that I would have to worry about somebody reading for me, I want to make sure that nobody can change that website as it's flowing back to me. So if I'm able to get what's called a man in the middle attack between your computer and the server, so I'm standing in the middle like in a coffee shop or something, I could basically write a script so that every request that's unencrypted that comes back through my computer, I can inject malicious JavaScript or something like that into the website. If you're running a modern, um, up-to-date web browser, there's not as much to worry about, but there's still a possibility that either I could trick you into submitting credentials, one of the 
examples that I've used in the past is I'll um, inject what looks like a Facebook login prompt. So it says, in order to continue reading this article, you have to log in. And, you know, it's totally fake, but, you know, it looks legitimate, you know, and it just kind of gets the point across that, you know, you need both confidentiality and integrity. So you want to be looking for websites that say, um, that don't say that they're not secure. You know, you want to be looking for websites that have that HTTPS so that you're sure that um, it's safe to use um, in terms of the connection. It does not necessarily say anything about the safety of the website after your information's been submitted. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the server is secure. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not somebody trying to fish your credentials. It just means that any information that you submit, nobody else can be read it other than you and the server. Okay. Until it's not is readable, right? Like Facebook is supposed to have that information or PayPal. Wasn't there a breach on PayPal where Yep. Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing where I was saying, it doesn't mean anything after the server. It just means that from between your computer and the server it's very unlikely that somebody could ever be able to read that. But once it's on the server, if there's a vulnerability on that server, all games are, are yep. <laughs> it's on. <Yep. laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk about social security number because I, that's a big thing now, right? People can get your social security number and they can open credit cards. And, and I know there are, kids that are that are getting hacked social security number are being used elementary school kids so how can we protect our our social security number and our children's social security number yep social security numbers are the one thing that i kind of think that we need to assume is always being is always already out there right and the problem is you can't change it right you can't you can't go to the irs and say oh somebody got my social security number and change it that's that's not going to work um so one of the best things to do is to lock your credit score. And so that means if somebody goes and they say, I want to open up a credit card in your name, and they have your social security number. First thing the credit bureaus are going to, or credit card issuer is going to do is they're going to check the credit bureaus and say, what's this person's credit score? If that's locked, the credit bureaus will say, sorry, I can't tell you that until you get permission from the user to, to get that. And so basically it's a way of, of blocking somebody from being able to check your credit score so that they won't issue you new credit. It's not perfect, but it, it so far it seems to be one of the best ways that we've you done so that far. You think that that would just be automatically done? You would think. Um, and actually, other way, when you give permission for yeah, up until 2018, you even had to pay in order to do that. Um, There's a law passed in 2018 that um, that made it so that the credit bureaus had to do it without you paying for it. So that's the other thing. If you go to Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion, and they try to make you pay for it, there are paid services out there that they say, oh, this makes it easier. It really doesn't. You just have to find the right link to do it for free because it's literally the law, at least in the U.S. now. Now you have to go to each of those three to lock it then. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of times um, when you're getting you know, an apartment or you know, whatever uh, where you need to have a credit checked, they're going to want to check all three of them. So you have to go unlock all three of them. So it's a little bit of a pain, but as long as you, um, if you have a password manager, put a, a note in there that has the link to each of the credit bureaus and your pin to unlock it, um, put it in there so that it's easy enough. You can just go pull it up and say, oh, this is where I need to go. Um, if you're not going to use a password manager, write it on a piece of paper, put it in a fireproof safe um, or safety deposit box. You would unlock it just for that, right? say, landlord to check it, and then you would put it back on lock. Yep. So um, it's generally a date range. So I'd say from this date to this date, unlock it. And unfortunately, anybody can check it at that point. I can't say, oh, just my landlord can check it. It's it's anybody. But 
it does limit the the possible exposure that you would have. You can do that for your kids too, even though they haven't purchased anything. Yep. Um, The same law in 2018 also basically said that under 16 parents or legal guardians can lock their children's credit score. I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I believe after 16, uh, the child would have to do it. Um, I believe at the very least they can do it after 16. The parents may or may not. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent clear on, on that, but no matter what, if your child is under 16, go unlock it. If not do it with them. Um, so that they're aware, Hey, here's where I go. Um, you know, so that when they're older than, uh, 18 and they're looking for an apartment by school or something like that, they're going to be able to unlock it and be able to do things. Um, that's the other thing too. When your child is 16, go run a credit report on them. Uh, make sure that there's nothing out there already uh, where somebody managed to get it, their their identity. Um, FTC says that about 4% of all identity theft is for children under the age of 19. So if your child is 16, that gives you three years to be able two years to be able to go and and correct anything that's inaccurate or fraudulent. I've heard kids under 10 being used. So should you also check that too? You could on occasion. I think that um, 16 is kind of the, at least that's the FTC's recommendation is at 16, you know, that's at the very least where you want to go check it. You could certainly check it earlier than that and definitely lock the credit score earlier than that. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you're going to stay for part two? Yep. Okay. So you can find Brian on his webpage at Brian Samro. That's spelled B-R-I-A-N-S-E-M-R-A-U.com. And um, you also have a resource and research page that you post articles or something to? Yep. So I do a lot of independent research. So um, some sec, which I think we're going to put in the show notes, um, that's where I publish it. Some of it can be a little technical, but especially some of the earlier stuff, I try to make it so that it's applicable to everybody. um, And hopefully everybody can read and understand it. (laughs) Okay. So SEMSEC is S-E-M-S-E-C dot net. That's S-E-M-S-E-C dot net. So Brian, do you have a quote of the week for people to kind of leave them with? Um, well, I think uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's a backup is worth a thousand geeks. Um, so go back up your computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. Until next time, have a wonderful week.